Heather Lanier is the author of Teaching in the Terror Dome, two years in West Baltimore with Teach for America, and two award-winning poetry books, Heart-Shaped Bed in Hiroshima, and The Story You Tell Yourself, winner of the WIC Poetry Open Chatbook Competition. Her work has been noted in the Best American Essay series and the Pushcart Anthology series. She has published poems and essays in many places, including Salon, The Sun, Vila Magazine, The Southern Review, The Three Penny Review, and more. She has a forthcoming book about raising her daughter with a rare chromosomal syndrome. She is a new teacher here for the Rhone University Writing Arts Department. And today, we got to sit down to talk about her new book, her writing process, and her future plans at Rhone University. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thanks for having me, Connor. Um, so first, you're new here. Mm -hmm. um, where are you coming from? Well, uh, from Vermont. Wow. So I was in Vermont for seven years, and I was teaching at Southern Vermont College. Mostly, I also taught at the community college up in Bennington, Vermont, and uh, I taught for a little bit in Skidmore, which is outside in New outside it's across the state line in New York. Wow, that's awesome. I know you also taught over in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, so I've been around quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, I got my MFA at Ohio State University, and that was like, I guess I graduated 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, after that, I was teaching at UC Berkeley for a couple of years, um, and then was a visiting professor at Miami University, which is not in Miami, Florida, <laughs> but in, it's in Ohio. Uh, so I returned to Ohio for a bit and then tr went up to Vermont for the past. So that's where, I, that's the last Wow, class. that's awesome. Uh, did you always know that you wanted to be a teacher or was that sort of a later later stage? Well, I, I think I was probably a writer before I was a teacher, gotcha. uh, but I was a writer early. So I was writing mm. uh, in high school, kind mm. of seriously, like taking seriously, like the writing of poems and studying poems. And, um, and so I knew that I loved writing and I loved writing as a way of making sense of the world and that writing was a big part of my being in the world like mm -hmm. of, li of living mm -hmm. and then I went through college and was like a you know a serious writer in college and was uh, I went to the University of Delaware and there wasn't a creative writing major at the time it was mm -hmm. so I studied English literature and I took all the creative writing classes I could take mm -hmm. and studied everything I could and back then they didn't really have a lot of universities didn't have creative nonfiction at all yeah so I would study, I was studying poetry and fiction and, <laughs> and also writing like, kind of like memoir, I guess, on the side. Mm. Um, and I remember telling my fiction professor that I, cause he would say like, oh, you're a poet. You don't know how to write to the end of the line. <laughs> you poets don't know how to use all the margins. Um, uh -huh. And I said, well, actually I'm writing, not, I'm writing prose. It's nonfiction. I think mm. it's like a memoir. And mm. he said, you're too young to write a memoir. I was like 20. So, the, you know, uh, opinions have changed about oh, creative nonfiction. Yeah. And there's yeah. more opportunities now for students to just study writing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's yeah. not it's not common for a college to have just a writing arts department. That's it's more true. common to get uh, like an English. And yep. then the students will go to that. Yeah. Um, so I didn't answer your question. So, um, <laughs> so, so essentially I was always writing as an undergraduate mm -hmm. and then when I was 22 and graduating, I didn't know what to do because I loved writing, but I did really love learning. And so mm. I thought, what if I just stood on the other side of the classroom? Would I like, would I like that 
too. Mm-hmm. And I did. I really love teaching. Um, so I like I like fostering curiosity and exploration mm-hmm. in the classroom, whether mm-hmm. that's as a student or as a as a teacher. So I've just been doing it on the other side for a while. But I consider myself like a co um, you know co conspirator in in, <laughs> in in exploration and curiosity with my students. That's so, awesome. It's fun. And um, you didn't quite start teaching in college you uh, I believe you went into your first book teaching in the terror dome is about teaching in Baltimore City Mm -hmm. in the high school yeah yeah Um, so I didn't I didn't get any teaching degree as a as a college student um and so that meant that when I graduated as an undergrad uh you know it was like where where could I where could I teach if mm-hmm. I'm curious about teaching and trying to figure out whether teaching could be a good field for me mm-hmm. um, and it was either a private school or it was in um, some kind of school where teachers were leaving you know it was hard to fill the slots yeah. and those tended to be um, low income um, city schools or rural schools and there are some programs that support you if you're going to jump into some of the like more um, underfunded schools in the country and Teach for America is an, a national program that mm-hmm. does it but now there's programs all over the country that are city specific so there's actually something called Teach Baltimore that's mm-hmm. all over um, which are these like way uh, these these organizations that try to attract new people into the teaching fields that wouldn't have thought about it otherwise and to attract them into places that need teachers. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I went to Baltimore. What are you teaching here at Rowan University? Oh, so I've been hired to teach creative nonfiction of all kinds gotcha. and multi-genre creative writing. I'm also a poet, so um, so I'll probably teach poetry or hope to at some points. Um but right now, I'm teaching special topics in nonfiction, mm-hmm. which is focused, which you are taking. Yes. <laughs> which is focused on um, kind of explorations of, um, uh, of experiments and innovations in the contemporary essay. Mm-hmm. So just weird things that people are doing in the essay in the last few decades. Um, and then I also teach right now Creative Writing 1, which is multi-genre poetry, fiction, mm. creative nonfiction for undergraduates. Uh, do you think you want to try to um, expand upon the special topics class into an- another semester, or would you try to change and do something different? Well, next forward? semester, they've signed me up already for writing the memoir, which I'm very oh, excited about. Oh, fun. Yeah. Okay. So I've... I write memoir, and that's uh, right. and lots of interest around memoir writing. Gotcha. So that one will be more, you know, we'll look at a little bit more traditional um, nonfiction approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, more, tra- not necess- not that memoir always has to be traditional, but we're, we'll certainly talk about traditional narrative arc, storytelling, point of view, gotcha. characterization. Yeah. Talking about um, the story stuff, I'd like to get into your new book that's mm-hmm. coming out. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so the book is called Raising a Rare Girl, um, and it is a memoir, and it is about um, when I was, uh, so I'll give you the short of it, so um, when I, I had my first child, she's eight now, she was, so eight years ago I had my first child, and she um, she was born very, very tiny, and the doctors were really, really concerned that something was wrong, and mm-hmm. we found out that she had this very rare chromosomal syndrome called Wolf-Hirschhorn syndrome, which is um, the name that they've given because the scientists named Wolf and Hirschhorn found uh. that this particular syndrome corresponds to a certain kind of deletion and a certain chromos- chromosome. So she has different chromosomes. Her four sh- chromosomes are a little different than most other people's. Gotcha. And that manifests in a lot of different differences, but also challenges. So mm. developmental delays, mm-hmm. but a lot of uncertainty in terms of her developmental trajectory. Um, and so this book is about... 
what it means to parent a person who is so different from what people expect, mm-hmm. um, what it means to parent a person who culturally has, and historically has been dehumanized. Right. Because you know, it wasn't until even 1975 that people with disabilities, children with disabilities, were guaranteed a right to education. But also what it means to parent at all, like how, mm-hmm. how hard it is, how, mm-hmm. how much surrender and letting go mm-hmm. you have to do, and um, kind of opening yourself up to the unexpected. Big topics, lots of hard things to kind of nail down. I, I'm interested because it's, um, uh, I read a little bit of your Teaching in the Terror Dome book, and that also deals with cultural biases. Mm-hmm. It also deals with the hardships that minorities and people that are considered the other face. Mm-hmm. And it's a similar thing that you're talking about in um, your new book about these these cultural pressures and, and cultural stories that, that we tell, how you come to these topics and maybe about how you try to tackle them in your writing. Mm-hmm. I think, well, um, so I've always been interested for, been interested in for a while in the way that, uh, the way that ableism expresses itself in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I studied under disability scholars as a graduate student okay. and certainly writing about a primarily black school in the city and also writing about racism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess I'm a little interested in sort of systemic oppression of marginalized groups, but yeah. but my child sort of found me, right? So no, like, yeah, so it absolutely. ended up being that I was writing about ableism from this big, very deep, heartfelt yeah. place, mm-hmm. um, where I was loving a child. Um, there's some kind of quote, and I always forget who says it, but even like Barack Obama has quoted. Has, has attributed this to someone mm. or he, he's offered the quote which is like having a child is like your heart walking around outside of you mm. because you love this yeah. person so much mm-hmm. and um, yeah it was shocking to have people comment really early on about my daughter and mm-hmm. her life and mm-hmm. her worth like when she was just a few days old mm-hmm. because she had this syndrome like mm-hmm. saying things about her they would never think to say mm-hmm. about a child who didn't present as having potentially intellectual disabilities. Right. Um, so, so yeah, that subject kind of just landed in right. my lap, I suppose. And I like, um, I watched your TED Talk, which was awesome. Uh, and in it, you go a little bit into detail about that, those beginning phases of raising your daughter and the stories that you heard from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just wondering if you still think of that phrase, good or bad, hard to say. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I, that's something that maybe I, as a writer, have tried to think of. And mm-hmm. it's... Um, it's an interesting topic to think about in terms of writing, but also just in life, like the stories that we're telling ourselves and how we are um, just just trying to put together our narrative, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that was something you thought about when writing this new book. Yeah, so anytime I write something, that's partly what I'm thinking about, mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. is the story here? And any writer has to think about that. that Joan Didion's famous line, uh, we tell ourselves stories in order to live, is the, you know right. from the White yeah. Album, which you just read in mm-hmm. class. Um, it's famous because it's you know it's every writer has to contend with the fact that we we desire to make meaning of our lives, but the meaning that we make sometimes fall often falls flat, or is cliche, or is unfair to others, or is you know not the whole picture. And so, I think I'm really I am really interested in the stories that are told and sort of flipping them around mm. and like investigating the mythology of, mm. of our, our modern mythology. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the so often my work will do that, you know, with both books. I think I'm attempting to 
to question some of the stories that we tell about whatever it is, you know. Yeah. Um, speaking of your works, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about your publishing mm-hmm. journey. Um, when did you first try to get into publishing? And um, I had a question uh, specifically, like w- maybe as you were starting, what's something that you wished you knew? Mm, yeah. Um, I started trying to publish after I graduated as an undergraduate, and I gotcha. tried to publish poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, poetry is really hard to place, too. It's something, like acceptance rates are often like 1%. Mm-hmm. So mostly I just didn't publish any poems, but I would send them out, and I was told you know, by a professor of poetry to, like, make it just a thing that you do, like, and to be proud of the rejections that you receive. Because the rejections are proof that you are in some ways making public your work. You've finished something, you're sharing it with an editor, Mm -hmm. and you're, um, you know, you... Yeah, that editor read it. And even yeah. if it, the answer is no, like, right. good work, you right. know, good work, writer. Mm-hmm. So this was a, a poetry professor who said, Jeannie Murray Walker, she said, do something funny with your rejection letters, like litter, cover your kitty litter box with them or <laughs> wallpaper your bathroom with them. And I always took that as kind of a metaphor more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The idea being, like, don't weep over your rejections too much. Sure. That was really good advice. I didn't start publishing until I was a graduate student in mm-hmm. a, as a creative writing Student. So as an MFA student, I started uh, sending poems out, essays out, and, and then it all sort of clicked, and I started publishing mm-hmm. it in probably 2005, I think. Where were you primarily trying to submit to? Literary journals. Literary like journals, the, yeah. this, My thinking was like, well, I'll just submit to prestigious literary journals. Mm-hmm. So the Southern Review was my first publication, and they published two of my poems, and... Mm-hmm. Um, where did I my first creative nonfiction I can't quite remember maybe Colorado Review these just you know these um these these prestigious literary journals mm-hmm. is where I started publishing mm-hmm. uh, my publishing life has changed quite a bit though because then you know when I had my daughter um and wanted to write essays to parents who were in similar situations um or wanted to write essays about um the ways that the strange stories that people would put on top of my life or my daughter's life because right. of her syndrome right. um i i just felt like i wasn't going to reach my audience through tiny literary journals sure as prestigious as they were in the graduate world mm-hmm. so um the graduate creative writing program world so i started a blog which mm. was you know unprestigious in some ways right like anybody sure. can start a blog yeah. Right. But it ended up being some of the most rewarding writing because I I just reached anybody I want anybody who could find me could find me right. and and I could reach them quickly and I didn't mm-hmm. have to go through an editor and mm-hmm. it was really fun. That's so, cool. And I then you know the blog was probably partly some you know some of the blog writing created some attention for the book. So the one leads self publishing can then lead to a good right book deal. exactly having mm-hmm. some type of. Uh, place I think is really important for writers where people can just find your stuff and especially mm-hmm. if you're updating and putting new and infra- new works out yeah super important you too. do have to update I haven't updated my website in a long time because <laughs> I've been working on this book for two years yeah. but yes. yeah I think that there are seasons in every writer's life Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this like and she says that her favorite season is the book writing phases like when she's like goes off the grid mm. writes the book mm-hmm. And then there's the sort of the, then there's the finalizing the book and getting it ready for mm-hmm. publication and that's kind of clerical work. Like last night I sat down for three hours to go through this book manuscript, which is pretty much done. It's not copy edited yet, um, 
and highlight every every passage that ever appears anywhere else in another like in another journal mm. so that the press knows what's been published before mm-hmm. it was not fun like <laughs> my neck was sore it was three hours it was like this uh-huh. is another part of the writing life yeah. is clar- essentially clerical work uh-huh. um and then you know then there's then there's the reading it and trying to get it into people's hands and there's more this more public work which if you're lucky enough to do then you get to do a little bit of that mm-hmm. but and then you get to go back and crawl into a hole and write some more. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I think I side with Gilbert. I like the season of creation. Gotcha. And how was, what was your approach to that season of creation? So like for oh, you, so. how did you try to tackle this book basically? Okay. So this, so in some ways this book took two years to write, but it also sort of took seven mm. because I was writing about parenting my daughter for, for four years before mm-hmm. the book deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working on a different book, actually. Mm. Uh, so I was, and, the, and all the stuff I was writing about parenting was always on the side. It was like, I just kind of got to a point where I just had something I had to say, and I wrote it down in a blog post or mm-hmm. worked on an essay over the course of several months. But I was also working on a different book. Mm-hmm. Um, once I got to a place where, essentially, I published an essay in Vela called Super Babies Don't Cry that exploded, it seemed. Mm-hmm. Um, and many acclaimed writers retweeted it and my editor currently reached out to me over email and my agent my current agent my agent reached out to me over email and the whole thing just sort of fell together so so when I sat down to write a proposal for this book they wanted to see a proposal first which is when you do an overview and a chapter by chapter kind of outline and Mm -hmm. you give some sample pages Mm -hmm. I had already been writing for four years four maybe about parenting I think maybe five and I sort of knew, like, what my central question was mm-hmm. in trying to answer. The, the, what was the question that was going to drive this book? Mm-hmm. And what was the arc going to be? And mm-hmm. what did I? What point of view did I want to mm-hmm. write from? So, so yeah, then I sat down for two years and, and kind of... I, so at first I was like, I already have so much material written. This book's <laughs> got to be already written, right? right? No, it turns out, right. It's, <laughs> I went, it was really, I went through all the stuff I'd ever written before about Fiona, my daughter, Fiona, and it really felt like going through a basement of boxes. Mm. Like the, things felt that sort of disconnected. Right. The problem is that narrative and point of view is really key. So sure. when I wrote about her when I was she was one year old versus five years old, my point of view is very different. Right. Um, so the bo- so the material didn't have this like central narrating through line. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then I then I had to actually rewrite and then you the whole had to- thing. Bunkered down and try to find it. Yeah, so logistically, writing the books look for me. Writing a book looks like committing to two to three hours every day for five or so days a week. Gotcha. Preferably, or six. Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily seven, but not fewer than five. Mm-hmm. Um, two to three hours in the chair. Mm-hmm. Don't check your email <laughs> while you're writing. <laughs> And I always find that if I haven't been writing for a while, like I've been not writing it seriously for a while, um, it's like running again. I have to actually build up my endurance for the two to three hours. So at first it's like, oh, I just want to get out of this chair. Mm -hmm. But then gradually it becomes, I'm able to sit there Mm -hmm. and commit. And I'm sure it was an interesting process going back through your blog posts and reading the previous things that you had said Mm -hmm. and trying to find... um, those like nuggets of the narrative that you could kind of piece together mm-hmm. was that sort of your approach to it or was it something that you had to kind of redo as you went you know what i did now that you asked this i remembered i took teensy sticky notes like post-it notes that were the thin 
the thin long yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. And I made for every single sticky note, for every single scene, every single moment that ever happened in the five years that I was going to be narrating it, mm-hmm. I made a sticky note. Wow. So a lot of that was, yeah, so I went through all the writing and said, okay, that time that the doctor gave us the diagnosis yeah. gets a sticky note. Right. And it appears really skeletally, like in a very brief version in this essay and this essay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, this medical test and right. this conversation with this person. Um, the time that she did, you know, that she did this or that or whatever. So I, so it was like, I don't know, it was probably 50 sticky notes across pages. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one thing I did. Gotcha. That's interesting. <laughs> Just trying to but visually yeah. rearrange your scenes as you're going through. Get the whole map mm-hmm. of the story. And yeah. not all of those scenes ended up being in the book. And a lot, most of the writing, like 90% of the writing is brand new. And what is taken from previously published stuff is like piecemeal like it's really hard to find Mm -hmm. is there um speaking of the book is there any time where you could expect to see it Um, yeah so it's right now it's well it's july 2020 is the is the tentative publication month so it could get moved around a little bit but okay and since this is kind of in the final stages what are you looking forward to moving ahead as as a as a writer oh i'm so looking forward to having no agenda as a writer (laughs) and uh and I don't, and that like I'm just looking forward to letting my just curiosity drive what's mm-hmm. the next project, mm. rather than having to do things. Right. You know, it's like well I have to do this. I've got to finish that. I've got to right. put an end on it. You know. Mm-hmm. So I look forward to what happens when I have no agenda. What mm. do I make? And I had that for like a month this summer when the book was in my editor's hands, and I think she hadn't. She was like. Re- editing it or revising it or giving me feedback Mm -hmm. and I wasn't getting it back yet so I had a a month and I went on a a retreat and um, and started writing poems again and Mm. it was great so I look forward to I actually really look forward to looking at those poems again yeah Mm. and one final question as uh, uh, new here at Rowan and we're really excited to have you what are you looking forward to accomplish here at Rowan well, the, the one thing I'm really excited about is, um, I guess, building energy and an interest in creative nonfiction, mm-hmm. which already is here. I mean, writers are already coming in with that interest, but also creating um, space for people to find a home in a genre that I think everybody can find a home in, mm-hmm. because everybody's got some nonfiction that they want to write, whether it's personal or researched. Every every writer I know eventually starts dipping their toes into nonfiction. So I want to create that space for people to find a home in the genre that I love so much, and then be a support person for them. So um, in some ways, it's being you know being a writing professor is a bit like being a coach or a midwife like helping people give birth to Uh something rather than like you know like being strict about um how to how to how they Uh, should write i I really see my role is helping foster people's own projects mm -hmm. so listening closely to what the graduate students are interested in and supporting um supporting the projects that they're drawn to um so that's the graduate level then undergraduate yeah um again building building interest in Mm -hmm. in the genre 
um, being a member of this uh, amazing faculty, mm-hmm. and um, it was just filled with all kinds of writers. This is so exciting. I mean, <laughs> it's basically this is the department that I would have loved as a as a graduate as yeah. an undergraduate student. And yeah. I I think studying literature was great for me, mm-hmm. but I for sure would have been excited to be a writing arts major as an undergrad so well we're excited to have you here thank you so much for sitting down with me today and thank having you this conversation um, thanks for having me you.